Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 34. Here is the word of the Lord. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, praise, and glory be to God. Amen. pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together this morning be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. You are our healer, comforter, confronter, and encourager as we examine our sins in this Lenten season. Please reveal yourself to us as we hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am always amazed by the contrast between that happens on Palm Sunday, which we are celebrating today, and what happens during the rest of Holy Week. Palm Sunday, as many of you know, is the beginning of Holy Week. It's a day where we remember and celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem. On this day, having finished three years of ministry throughout Galilee, where he called, trained, and taught his disciples. Jesus rode into that walled city, uh, walled city on a tall, sh- not, tall, not on a tall, shining horse, like the conquering Messiah and king that people expected, but humbly riding on the back of a donkey. Despite the humbleness of his entry, however, his disciples as well as the crowds gathered to see him, welcomed him fanatically. 
They waved palm branches, they waved palm branches, laying palm branches, and cloaks. Oops. Cloaks. On the ground. So that even his donkey wouldn't have to touch the dirt of the ground. Give me one moment to fix my microphone. People welcomed Jesus excitedly, believing that this miracle worker, this healer, was a great and powerful anointed king of the Jews, the king of Israel. Sorry, give me one second to fix this. You can meditate on what <laughs> I've been speaking in the scripture passage as I <laughs> get ready again. All right, thanks for your patience. People welcomed Jesus excitedly, believing that this miracle worker, this healer was great and powerful, anointed king of the Jews, the king of Israel. The people thought that Jesus had come into the capital city in order to take it by force, to overthrow the rulers forced upon them by the occupying Roman forces. Israel will be made great again under this majestic and powerful king, King Jesus, King of Jews, and King of Israel. People shouted in the streets saying, Hosanna, a word which means save us now. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they yelled. People openly confessed that Jesus Christ was the Lord and Savior, their long-expected king. At his arrival, they were prepared to overturn everything, to follow him anywhere, to see the people of Israel redeemed and made into a great and powerful nation once again. But by the end of the week, things had taken such a dramatic turn. In that time, Jesus had been betrayed, arrested, taken before the religious authorities, accused of blasphemy, slander against God for having supposedly declared himself king of the Jews. And as we all know, Jesus was executed at Golgotha as one of the worst kinds of criminals, nailed to a cross and left to die. Can you see how dramatic this turn is? From the glories of Palm Sunday, where all praise and honor were given to him as he humbly yet triumphantly came into the city, to Good Friday, where all the praises and honor disappears just like that as he was crucified, left to die in the most humiliating and painful way possible the way the only, the worst of criminals were punished in those days. And what's more, as you know, is that as the Son of God, he committed no sin at all, certainly nothing to deserve this most painful death. It was the sins of the people 
which put him up on that cross. Today is the last day of Lent, the season where we intentionally examine the sins that live and grow within ourselves, within our lives, and within the life of the church. As you know, I have been doing a sermon series on sin and repentance, and I have talked about how refusing to speak up against sin is a sin itself, and how no calling upon God all times is also a sin. But sin is such a broad term, isn't it? Since we don't talk about sin all that much in the church, unless we really take a closer look at how sin is expressed, specifically in the scripture, our minds can easily hold on to sin as an abstract concept rather than something clear and understandable and very relevant to our lives or even to our walk with God. Today's scripture reading sheds light on yet another kind of sin, another aspect of sin, a sin that comes about when the conviction of our word is measured against the weakness of our faith. What? <laughs> that was a lot of words. <laughs> what, what does she mean by this? You might wonder. So let's look at again at what happened during Holy Week, the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. So on Palm Sunday, the people of Jerusalem welcomed Jesus with words of praise and honor and glory. They couldn't stop shouting about what a great king Jesus was and shouting on that he was the king of Israel and demanding that Jesus would save them now. But by the end of the day on Friday, Jesus was hanging on the cross, being executed as the worst kind of criminal, falsely accused of claiming himself the title King of the Jews. What a contrast. What happened to all those words of honor and glory that poured out from the hearts of so many? What happened to the praise that flowed from the mouth of all those people who cheered for Jesus on Sunday morning? Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. What happened to the people who uttered these words of praise as they witnessed what was happening to Jesus? Did they not speak up? Didn't they do anything about the fate of Jesus? This is their King, their Lord and Savior after all. Did they just let him die on the cross? And the short and perhaps surprising answer is, yes, they did not anything to save Jesus. And Jesus knew it. Jesus even gives a warning about people betraying Jesus. And that answer is part of the scripture we read today. Jesus warns one of his disciples, Peter, saying that instead of continuing to give Jesus praise and honor, Peter will exactly do the opposite, or perhaps even worse. Jesus shares his prediction that Peter will deny him publicly three times before the morning comes. Luke chapter 22, verse 34. But despite Jesus' prediction and despite the fact that Jesus is the one predicting it, Peter remains so full of himself. He's so convinced of the strength of his faith that he says to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Verse 33. Peter was determined. Peter was ready to be punished for his faith in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And even so, he thought, ready to be killed. Peter spoke strongly and certainly that he would never betray. 
But as you know, as we all know, just like Jesus predicted, Peter wound up denying Jesus three times publicly just before dawn. The crowd who came to cheer for and show strong support to Jesus as their king did not do anything to save Jesus. Jesus' own disciple, Peter, denied saying he did not know him. And as well, we know another disciple of Jesus, Judah, sold Jesus out to the religious authorities to be arrested and killed. All these people claimed their love and obedience to Jesus with their words, but they did not follow through when it came to their actions. They said they loved him and honored him and would follow him the rest of their lives. But despite the strength of their words, their faith in Jesus that their Lord and Savior was not strong enough when it seemed like the faith might cost them their lives too. At one level or another, I think we have all failed to have a sufficiently strong, active faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I have numerous examples of this kind of failure just on my own, to be honest with you. When the future seems uncertain, I tend to doubt God's promise to sustain and provide for myself and for my family. So I have gone to Google and started looking for any information which can assure or give me peace rather than just going to God in prayer. I have judged people harshly thinking that they are incapable of change, even though God promises us that in Christ we can be made into a new creation. Sometimes I think and act as though what is happening to me now or whatever I'm feeling or experiencing is a permanent condition which has doomed me forever, even though God promises that the mercy of God is new every morning. A church community can find itself failing in faith in the same way as we as Christian individuals do too. We could be investing ourselves being a busy church, trying to make many things happen in our community rather than practicing the discipline of waiting on God in order to bring about godly solutions. We could find ourselves making church decisions based on fear, fear of what could go wrong, we can find ourselves being so very judgmental toward one another rather than looking to each other with love and compassion and forgiveness Jesus asked us to. And all these things are side effects of a lack of faith in community, a sign that we do not fully believe and understand who Christ is and can be for us. Christ is the one who can forgive anything, who asks us to do the same. Christ is the one who can take difficult, deadly situations and use them to create new and wonderful possibilities. But we do not rest assured in the full conviction that Christ is with us. We don't fully accept who Christ is and all that Christ can do in us and through us. Today's scripture passage does not explicitly say that lack of faith is a sin, but if we read it closely, we can see Jesus indicating exactly that. In verse 32, Jesus says to Peter, Once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Turned back here means to return to a place of faith. That means Peter went somewhere, and wherever that was not a place of faith. In fact, Jesus points out that Peter will find his faith in Jesus lacking, even telling people that he doesn't know Jesus at all. 
any direction we may choose to go, which is not guided by God, or which does not involve recognizing Jesus as the Lord and Deliverer, is of course, is off the course. And anything that strays from God's course is a sin. So Jesus is saying here that Peter is about to commit sin soon. And I think it's a very natural tendency of humans to deny or feel offended when we are confronted with our sins. Sins of the past, sins of the present, and even sins of the potential of the future. It's definitely not pleasant to be told that you have committed or committing or you will commit sin. But why is that? Why? I think this bad, heavy feeling is at least in part because we do not know what to do with the feelings of heaviness that come with having strayed from God's will. Maybe we feel like the entirety of ourselves, our very identity, our own existence is being denied and threatened when our sin is exposed. That bad feeling we have might not always be related to guilt over what has happened or what we have done, but it may be based on feeling that our character, our very identity is being attacked, leaving us feeling guilty, defensive, or even angry. And it's a heavy, challenging feeling when we feel like our character, our identity, our very existence is being denied or attacked. But is it really the case when it comes to repentance? Is that really true when our sin is exposed? Let's look at the scripture a little more to find answers. It's interesting to me that Jesus chooses to talk about Satan at the start of today's passage. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. Jesus recognizes the forces other than Peter have come into the picture and shaken the faith of all disciples. But Jesus also attests to the strengths of the disciples, reflecting on his time with the disciples over the last three years. He says to them, uh, chapter 22, verse 28, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. You are the one who have stood by me in my trials. Jesus recognizes the perseverance of faith the disciples have shown over the last three years they have been together. He recognizes the strengths of their faith, but Jesus also does not sugarcoat what is going to happen to them. Strong faith until now does not mean they're guaranteed strong faith from now on. Jesus says that their faith is going to be shaken, hard, just like wheat is sifted. When God confronts us with the depth of our sin, it's never coming from a place of condemnation, hurtful intent, or desire to attack our character, self-worth, or even our personal history of faith. God knows, as well as we do, that there have been times where we have been faithful, giving, caring, rather than doubtful and afraid. But God also knows that there will be times that are not like that. There will be and have been times where we act out of the desire to be judgmental, fearful, or unforgiving, times where we do not call upon God first. And that's all. It's not a denial of our character or rejection of our long, devoted faith history of all that we have done for God and God's community. 
Sin is just a thing that happens. The expression of the imperfection that comes from us simply not being perfect, not being God. But you know what the good news is? Even now, even when we have committed sins, even when we are going to commit sins, Jesus has already prayed for us. Look at how Jesus prayed for Peter as he approached his upcoming sin. Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that he will do this to us also. Jesus prays also that our own faith, a faith we have claimed as our own, may not completely disappear when our faith is shaken deeply and leaves us feeling very weak. Jesus prayed for us and for our weaknesses and for our sins. When you think about that, don't you feel so much love from Jesus? Jesus prays that we will not completely be separated from God despite those sins we commit. Jesus recognizes the worst, most painful place that a person can be when they feel separated from God, even abundant by God. Even knowing the full depth of our sin, God's very identity is too loving and too compassionate to permit us to suffer that way. So when Jesus says to Peter, but I have prayed for you, this is what he's saying. You are loved and cared and prayed over by me, especially when you commit sins. So come back. And that is true for us also. And there's still more. Jesus has a plan for us that comes after repentance too. Isn't it wonderful that there is a place for us in God's great work as we acknowledge our sin, repent, and come back to God? Isn't it amazing that coming face to face with our sin does not have to be a dead end? That we are not given a mission because we, are, we sin. That is definitely not what Jesus had in mind. Look at verse 32 and see what Jesus says to Peter. Once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What a wonderful plan God has to invite us all together in strengthening our brothers and sisters and siblings in Christ once we turn back to the Lord. Peter denied Jesus three times, but Jesus was crucified and died not only for Peter's sin, but for the sins of the whole world, sins of the past, sins of the present, sins of the future. And we will celebrate what Jesus did for our sins on the cross next week on Easter. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to Peter and asked him if he loved Jesus three times, mirroring Peter's threefold denial of Jesus earlier. At first, this little reminder must have sung for Peter, who probably struggled with a great sense of guilt. After all, who would want to experience a reminder that you have messed up so badly? But that is not where Jesus' focus is. Every time Jesus asks Peter if he loves Jesus, Jesus responds with a revelation of his plan for Peter's life and the life of those who would follow Peter. Jesus says to Peter, Feed my lambs. John chapter, John chapter 21, verse 15. Tend my sheep. Verse 16. Feed 
my sheep. Verse 17. Jesus needs more from Peter than a simple, I love you. Because Jesus wants to see responsibility coming with the words of faith in Christ. Now that Peter has repented and returned to a place of faith once again, Jesus commands Peter to look outward. Jesus sends Peter out on a mission, a great work to help serve the needs of the people. After his failure to stand up for Christ, Peter embraced faith again. And his newly repented faith saw him preaching, teaching, and spreading the gospel throughout the world. Peter's faith was not enough to follow Jesus to the cross at first, but his repentant faith saw him make good on his promise to follow Jesus to the end as he was crucified himself in Rome some years later, having lived and died as a testament to God's glory. Sin is rooted in our lack of faith, and it separates us from God, but it's never the final destination. In repenting and turning back to God, we are given a new mission, and with it, we are given a newer and stronger faith and the determination to carry out that new mission. Over the last few weeks of this Lenten journey, we've been taking, talking together. I have spoken about sins of our church. I imagine that this has not been an easy thing for you to hear with all this heavy talk about sin. You might wonder, are we really that screwed up? So hopelessly broken? Condemned by God to the point that there's no recovery is possible for us? Is there even a hint of hope? And if you are wrestling with feeling like this, I want to say repentance is never about condemnation making you feel bad, but rather a beautiful invitation to come back to God. Sin does not cancel out all the goodness that is in our church community. We have a beautiful legacy in our church. The Lord has kept our church for almost 150 years, the second oldest union church in Japan. We welcome people from all over the world, from diverse backgrounds, what great purpose the Lord must have for us. How beautiful it is to see and understand that no matter how different we might be from each other, we can still come together in worship and praise of a wonderful, merciful God. But no matter how hard we might try to be perfect, sin still managed to sneak in. We, as a church community, have acted sinfully and in bad faith as a direct result of this, we have produced sickly, bitter fruits like judgment, distrust, blaming, and avoidance of key issues in our walk with God. In Christ, we are able to do all things, but we have not always relied on Christ to work within us in this way when it comes to sin. Friends, we are a church community that has been prayed for by our Lord and Savior in these times of difficulty, cared for in those times when our faith has weakened and our own sinful nature takes control. In all those times of sinfulness and weakness, Christ was there too. When we engage in the difficult task of recognizing and acknowledging our sins, allow ourselves to truthfully and openly and honestly come face to face with the many ways in which we have fallen short of God's glory. When we choose a way of repentance, 
we find that God has prepared a beautiful place for us in God's great unfolding plan, a beautiful mission given to us to help and support one another. Isn't that a beautiful vision? Our need for repentance can be difficult to accept. But when we look beyond it, there is so much hope, so much excitement that can be found in the mission God has for us and for the world. As a church community, which Christ Jesus himself has prayed for, we can turn back towards a place of stronger faith and powerful hope, strengthening each other as we go. We can become an example of the world of what it means to embrace God's path of repentance, redemption, and resurrection. We can become a community who serve God by admitting the wrong, forgiving one another, uplifting each other, uplifting our community, even strengthening other churches too. Who would like to envision such a bright future with me? Who wants to join me in looking beyond the challenges of repentance and self-reflection to the church God calls us to be? A church that prays for one another, the sins of one another, sins of our own church, just as Christ has prayed for us. I hope we can all look towards God's promised future and embrace God's calling on our community, continuing to follow Christ together. Amen.